I just want you to know if there's ever a situation like there was the other day where you are gravely injured, I will make sure to put an editor's note at the beginning of the last podcast that we recorded saying... Saying that it was recorded before the SAG after strike. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Which, of course, led to your untimely death. (laughs) I have to say, I thought... I was going to put this in the group chat today. I thought... I thought this was going to start with you telling me I had something on my face. Nah. That's fair. You already got that from somebody today. I did. Um, where do you want to begin telling my story? <laughs> I'm not going to tell your story. I will give you, you know how like there's different, uh, I'll give the Taylor's version, yeah, version sure. of the story yeah, from my it. perspective eventually. But I want you to talk about I can't imagine, can't imagine you had much of a perspective because you abandoned me in a time of need. So, I, uh, so you weren't there. I was going to give it a nice lead in, but why don't you tell everybody why you look uglier than usual? Go. Wow. Thank you. Um, kicking when someone's down. You started it. So <laughs> literally um, down, face down. I had a horrible traumatic bike accident injury. Um, and uh, I cut my chin and I have stitches on my chin. And I did it on the way to... to on Governor's Island, on the way to a barbecue that you were attending. Yeah, so I, our friend got the call from you or the medical operatives or whoever it was. Uh, I, I called, oh, you don't even know who got the call. You were, you were in- uh, let, let, Let's talk about, I have, I have some things I want to hash out, some dirty laundry. Okay. You called all of our friends except for me. No, that's not true. It's true. I called two people. You called three. No, I called two people, but I called one of them twice. Oh, I kind of called... You called Nash, too. I, no, I called Nash, and then I called... Marissa. And he didn't answer, and then I called Peter, and he didn't answer, and then I called Peter again, and he answered, and I still don't know how this happened, but... I, my, so my phone was acting up, because you know when your phone's wet and, like, it's acting up weird, like, uh, the touchscreen's messed up? Well, mine had blood on it, and it was touching stuff... And at some point, it called someone else and merged the call. But it happened to be Marissa, Marissa. his fiance, so which is insane because I I don't know how that happened still. So you're saying the magic blood, the magic butt blood dialed Marissa, but dialed Marissa, blood dialed Marissa, blood dialed. I like that. Um, but that being said, um, yeah, and then and then and then he, and then he had a call back or or I had a call back or something, and um, I was like, guys, I had an emergency. Please come get my city bike because it needed to be docked and also get my tote bag and um, my glasses, which I were leaving on the ground. And I had to go walk to a first aid because I had a hole in my chin, as a stranger told me. It, here's what I will say about my role in all of this, because I... Which I was, was none. And so... But the I two was coming I called, to... Showed I, up. I was coming to rush to your aid. Like, I was with... We were walking in a trio and they jumped on bikes and I realized... I remember the Revolutionary War and that Paul Revere's role in warning everybody what has happened was just as valuable as the people who (laughs) rushed to the aid of the rebel soldiers. So you warned everybody. I was like, yeah, Nick might be hurt. Yeah. Well, what a compliment. So, so telling everybody that I might not be showing up to the party is as tragic as a war unfolding. I should have been like, yeah, he's not going to make it. Yeah, I guess that's the allegory that I went with. Huh? <laughs> um, yeah, well, whatever. I'm fine. I will say I was I was two bites into a burger when he got the call, so I want to make sure that finished <laughs> up too. <laughs> um, so we were on an island at this point, and you had to be. Yeah, I I. Okay, so I went over the handlebars of a bike because I was going downhill. Sure, you're not supposed to bike on that road, but it was a quick road. I ignored the sign. And uh, the tote bag was falling out of the basket of the city bike. And so I went to grab it with my left hand, like leaning forward to grab it as I'm going downhill. With my right hand, I go to slow down the bike because it's picking up too much speed. And I think it just stops completely. Boom, I go over the handlebars of the bike. I get up uh, in the tote bag with two rolls of paper towels and three tall boys, like two hard seltzers and a twisted tee. Um, And thank God you guys had asked me to pick up paper towels because I used it to clean up the blood. Um, I couldn't tell what was blood and what was crushed tall boy cans at the time. It was very... Did they all explode? Um, uh, one or two of them did. One or two of them crushed. And uh, I couldn't... I knew I was pouring blood from somewhere, but I couldn't tell what was blood and what was was um, seltzer and or tea, twisted tea uh, at Yikes. first. Um, and I just... I was checking my teeth and I was like, it's weird that I feel my teeth because there's blood coming from somewhere up in my mouth. Um, 
or around my mouth. And then I used the paper towels to stem the bleeding on my elbow, which was just a scrape, but it was bleeding a lot. Then a guy in a golf cart came up and, and kept asking if I was okay. And I said, I'm so sorry. Let me move my bike out of the middle of the road for oh, you. Wow, so polite. Even in the <laughs> And he let me times. do it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and then he goes, can I call someone? Are you okay? And I said, I'm okay. And he kept asking. Then he goes, you don't look okay. And I said, oh, oh, why? Sorry, I haven't looked at myself yet. Do I have a cut on my face too? And he goes, you have a hole in your chin. And I looked at uh, myself and my phone camera for a couple seconds and I go, sure enough, there's there's an opening on my face that was not there before. And it's the type of wound I've seen in, in I've never like had a bad injury, so um, it's the type of wound I've seen and stuff, but it's not something I've seen on my body before. It's like when a cartoon character gets shot and then there's yeah, just pretty, a black hole. Yeah, pretty much. Then um, at that point, the guy was like, you sure you don't need help? And I still said no, because I imagined like police and or ambulance showing up and then me having to pay for that. Um, so I walked to first aid and like almost passed out of the process. Um, and um, I had to do the math of, do I wait for my friends to get here? Um, I'm trying to call them at the time um, and then have them f- fix everything for me, <laughs> like just take care of everything for me and I can go unconscious if I need to. Um, Which is like the thing you're not supposed to do, by the way. I don't yeah. think you're supposed to. And also that. like it wasn't going to knock me on guard. I did hear. So then I went to first aid. It turns out we needed to involve an ambulance anyway. They took me across on a ferry on the ferry. An ambulance, an ambulance was waiting on the other side of Manhattan for me. Um, and it was a senior care ambulance, uh, which was made me feel so cool. Uh, and then I went to Bellevue and I shared the ER with like two or three inmates um, in like orange jumpsuits. It was very comforting. I will say the the craziest thing, maybe it's because I like was playing a lot of like Grand Theft Auto recently um, and just different video games are like, you know, you die and then you respawn uh, elsewhere or like, oh, you're in the hospital. <laughs> the hospital. I, when I was under, when I got up from under the bike, my brain kind of subconsciously like was short circuiting, trying to figure out like, how do I skip to the hospital part? <laughs> and then I realized you can't. No. And I was like, oh crap, like unless I blacked out, I'm not going to just wake up in the hospital. And it was so frustrating because I was like, I have to wait so long now. It was like hours. I'm glad you're okay, obviously. Uh, I want that on the record. <laughs> but I also, now that I know you're okay, I wouldn't have been upset if somebody took a photo of you face down and then photoshopped the black and white and the wasted on top of it. The what? Wasted. What is that? Oh, Grand from Theft Auto. Oh, from Grand Theft yeah. Auto. <laughs> yeah, no, they should have. I do wish I had the, the footage from it. I think the footage does exist. So I wish I had it. Mm. You know, I, I'm going to make sure that this gets clipped for social because okay. these are the kind of 60 second I'll, clips that do numbers. Yeah, I'll clip it for social. Um, it's very, very uh, Jeanette McCurdy-esque tell-all. I appreciate the, 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 the details. <laughs> Why is that the comparison? That you, the most recent tell-all. The most that I recent think tell-all? I don't know. I don't think it was all that recent either, but who, who knows? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, when I, when, I, when I hit the ground and my chin started gushing blood, I did think... This must be exactly what it's like to have an abusive stage mother. <laughs> um, well, I know the whole CCG community was praying for your recovery, and I'm glad that you're Yeah, because they were all at the barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> they were all at the barbecue or at the hospital. Oh, I will say one other thing, and I'm pretty sure this message was relayed to you in the group chat. Uh, Nash was with me at, in the, at the uh, ER, and I said to Nash, can you do me a favor? Text Andrew. Tell him the podcast is going to be delayed a week. <laughs> It was a fair excuse. I, was, I, I, I said it could be delayed forever. Don't scare me like that yeah. again. And then as the day went on and you regained consciousness, our banter got a little more sour. You were like, oh, I'll have it by Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of the day, I remember saying something. I'm, I'm glad the sidewalk won or something yeah, like that. That's fair. Yeah, that's I had had it. Here, <laughs> yeah, here's the real Andrew coming out. You had wrung out all the sympathy <laughs> I had left. Well, genuinely... Glad you're okay. Thank you. <laughs> there should be less bloodshed on this episode of the Cinema Chain Gang podcast presented by Bellevue Hospital. Yeah. Do you you're have like a, <laughs> do you have a guess the two orange jumpsuit? Like what were their, what was their crime? Like why were they? In prison? Oh, you know, was I, one like, a, did one give like tax evasion vibes or was one like robbed the liquor no, store? No, they definitely didn't give, they didn't at least evade taxes on purpose. You know, like they didn't give like, um, smart enough to evade taxes vibes. They were more like, I'd say one of them could have been anything from from um, 
aggravated vehicular manslaughter to um, serial killer. Uh, and the other one was more like... That's a wide range. Yeah. And the other one was more like... Uh, like a violent robbery. Oh. Um, I mean, he was next door to you? Yeah. Actually, no. Yeah, you know, one of them was like kind of like the neighbor that like... When the if police knocked on your door, it was like, hey, can you give a statement? It turns out your neighbor has had bags and uh, bags of bodies in his freezer this whole time. And you'd be like, <laughs> oh, didn't expect it, but also not surprised. That's what the other guy is. Uh, I see. Yeah. OK. Um, well, I'm glad that if this doesn't work out for you, you have a job in criminal forensics slash criminal yeah. psychology. <laughs> um, we are continuing along in our kind of retro stage here on the Cinema Chain Gang podcast. We have been reviewing a lot of old movies recently, or at least we did last time. Yeah. Uh, we reviewed 14 hours last time. Uh, our entry into the filmography of Grace Kelly. Uh, we have a much more notable Grace Kelly movie this week. Last, I mean, last time that movie was not really a Grace Kelly movie at all. She just happened to be a character in it, you know, but it all yeah. focused on the main two actors, of course, and their uh, relationship. This time, she is front and center uh, in the movie we're going to review today, 1955's To Catch a Thief, which is very exciting because it's an Alfred Hitchcock movie, but it's not like an obvious Alfred Hitchcock movie. So we'll talk about that in a little mm -hmm. while. Have you? Are there a lot of Hitchcock movies that you have seen? I have seen, or, this was the eighth I have seen. I've hmm. seen most of the the big ones. So I've seen Psycho. I've seen North by Northwest. I've seen Vertigo. Uh, the only of the Rear Window, obviously, another great Grace Kelly movie. Um, I think the only one that's like considered like an all-time classic that I have not seen is The Birds. Interesting. Okay. I saw The Birds when I was a kid. Um, and I just watched Psycho recently for the first proper time. I probably have seen it. Obviously, I've seen like the, the handful of famous scenes from it. But I kind of was like, oh, you know, I don't think I've properly actually watched a movie or I don't have recollection of it. So I watched um, that. And then... Um, because Scorsese was talking about something the way that like they uh, one of the scenes in Psycho is directed, and I wanted to like see what he saw in it. Um, but other than that, yeah, I realized I haven't. Oh, and Rear Window, which is one of my favorites, but yeah, and I've seen a couple of fringe ones too. Like, uh, I mean, To Catch a Thief counts as like a fringe one, I think. Mm -hmm. I ha I've seen Frenzy, which is one from the seventies. I've seen Rebecca. Uh, I saw one that's an adaptation of a play called Dial M for Murder, and that's pretty much where it ends. I mean, eventually, I'll probably watch ones like Strangers on a Train and Notorious and mm -hmm. stuff like that. But we're talking about To Catch a Thief today, um, and we will talk about that in a few minutes. Our connecting chain, an actor that is also in To Catch a Thief with Grace Kelly is John Alderson. This is not going to be one of our more notable connecting chain people. You know how sometimes we get like a Leonardo DiCaprio in the middle of the chain? Yeah. That's not going to happen this time. So we could just talk about John Alderson right now. He is in To Catch a Thief and the movie we're going to be reviewing next time which is called Ragtime. Uh, if you go to both of these movies' Wikipedia pages, um, he is nowhere to be found on either because he plays such small roles in both of them. Yeah, I mean, I will say, looking him up, he definitely, I think he has, like, maybe we can, maybe I should save this for the end of the year awards, but he definitely is the connecting actor who looks the most like a vice president that we've ever had. Yeah, I could see that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he's got that. He's got like the politician's jaw. Yeah, yeah. Are you looking at this photo of him in like a blue suit? I'm looking at a picture of him in, on Wikipedia uh, in black and white. Oh, okay. It oh man, really... if you think he looks like a vice president, then just wait until I see the photo of him in his older years in a blue suit. <laughs> he looks a little sweaty and wrung out. Uh, in To Catch a Thief, he plays detective at the costume ball. Not a credited role. Um, <laughs> so not his most notable. The man was born in 1916. He died in 2006. So whatever. I mean, ragtime, he was a an aide to a character named Waldo, who um, is in the film. <laughs> oh, and it's played by James Cagney. There you go. So there's, our, there, there's how I continue the transition. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at what somebody might know him from. I don't think there's anything I have seen him in. Um, he play, He has an uncredited role in Blazing Saddles, which in a way makes like, you know, I, I imagine would be like the thing that most people have seen of his filmography. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I'd agree right? with that. Uh, so John Alderton, John, oh my God, John Alderson is also in Ragtime, which is a Milos Forman movie from 1981. Uh, and James Cagney 
is one of the main stars of that film. And he, of course, is another old time actor. So we're guaranteed to have probably at least one more pre 1960s movie once we generate our next chain. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, but Ragtime is James Cagney kind of at the end of his run. He actually came out of retirement to store, uh, to star in it. So we'll be talking about that next time. Uh, but that's the chain. Grace Kelly to James Cagney. Two very classic old Hollywood actors. Yeah, James Cagney died five years after Ragtime came out. Yeah, I went into this chain with um, kind of high hopes because the chain prior, as I've covered, it was one of my favorites that we've done on the podcast. What was the first movie? Of, it was 14 hours and then what was it long? Uh, um, the Last Tycoon. Oh, yes, which I did not care for. So it was not right. one of my favorite chains. No, it wasn't it, it wasn't even my favorite chain in end result, but it was my favorite chain in like you know it's hard to explain. I it, I went into it being like, ooh, I'm excited to see both of these movies and discover what there was. And they were fine. If they were bad movies, it wouldn't have held up, but like they they were good enough that my interest was there. Um and as we'll get into, the excitement waned on me for these ones. So we'll get to, to catch a thief in a few minutes for now. What else have you been watching? I just watched two different corporate, really three different corporate biopics, if you will, recently. Uh, we've already talked about BlackBerry. Uh, I did see it much later than you, though. Um, but then much more recently, I saw Flamin' Hot, which is Evil Longoria directed story about uh, the creator of the Flamin' Hot Cheetos. And uh, I also saw the Beanie Bubble. Um which is uh, Elizabeth Banks, Zach Galifianakis, and uh, tells the story of Thai Beanie Babies. Sarah Snook, too, right? And Sarah Snook. Um, she snook in there, too. I didn't even nah. see. She, uh, she snook on that poster. My entire thoughts on the Beanie Bubble is it has one of the worst posters I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Let me look up the poster for this. It's, it's just the four characters standing there, but they all look like they're from different cutouts. Like Sarah Snook, it looks like they took the, her full body shot from Succession and just threw her in the background. <laughs> oh my god it really does and and the big thing and you can get more into this obviously when you actually talk about if you like the movie or not the thing that stands out to me is just how startling uh galifianakis looks without a beard um sure he almost looks a little different than he does in the movie there i will say it, it's sh the marketing of this movie is kind of shocking because there's no it's one thing to not put a Beanie Baby on the poster, right? I mean, there she's holding a, a kind of thing you can't, like a torn up one you can't see, but it's one thing to not be Beanie Baby forward with it. Maybe like you can't, I don't know if there's a rights issue there, but there's no allusion to the Beanie Baby or the tie heart other than her holding a stuffed animal that you can't even tell if it's a Beanie Baby or not. Uh, that's shocking to me. I have marketing notes. Um, and the tagline is the crazy behind the craze, which doesn't even, still doesn't even necessarily tell. It's all relying on the word beanie. You know, what if this were about hats? True. Um, what if this were about the manufacturer of Jack Nicholson's, um, wool caps in Cuckoo's Nest? Um. Has an accident. And Steve Zizow. Yeah. Uh, Bill Murray. Um. Accidental, uh, reference to the chain here, because it's a Milos Forman movie. Oh, wait, who? Yeah, oh, it is. Uh. And Nicholson was in, doesn't matter, Last Tycoon. So I felt that bike man really shook things up <laughs> in my head. Um, it was never on straight to begin with. <laughs> yeah. um, Beanie, be, look, Beanie Bubble, Flaming Hot, both, this isn't an original thought really, but there are corporate biopics that just don't need to be made, man. Beanie Bubble, I think, makes, I, I had a little bit more interest because it was such, like, the, the explosion of that, that craze was like such a, part of my childhood and I kind of wanted to know what caused it but then when you get into like flaming hot there's a lot of things that could make for a valuable movie in that but it's just like the execution of both of them are like this is not interesting enough to be to to be something that like I'm seeking out and, and watching the story of I've seen neither right which is rare because usually I've at least seen one of these so I could comment on them. But I, talking about the concept of corporate biopics, you're right that most of them have trouble justifying their own existence. That's why I was so pleasantly surprised by BlackBerry because I found it just like an electrifying movie so, to watch. 
here's my struggle. I liked Blackberry a lot. After seeing these, I thought about what did I, what did Blackberry have that these didn't? And my answer is I'm not really sure. And so, like, I do think it's still, even Blackberry feels like a whole other league from, like, the social network, right? Um, Because I think there's something that that's just, like, the the type of the style of writing in the movie is perfect for that movie. And it it just, everything comes together in a way that is greater than the sum of its parts. Um, I I don't know. I don't have anything good to say about, like, I, I... anything smart to say about what Blackberry had that these didn't or vice versa. At some point, I'm like, it all just, it's weird. It all feels like kind of the same story, but kind of not. All of them have these elements of, of comedy and um, also kind of like electrifying moments. I mean, Flamin' Hot, not so much. Um, But also at the same time, as much as like I'm saying that they're not interesting enough, I don't necessarily... I don't hate the idea of having more corporate biopics. I know there are people that's like that that are saying we have too many, especially when the point that's being made in them is like corporations suck, which they do. But there is something to be said about how like you know film has always been a medium for biopics, and as as a culture we get like um, more um, product oriented. And more, pro- there's a proliferation, uh, pro- proliferation of products in the world that, like, of course, this is going to be the thing that we are doing biopics of, or not people, but companies, because um, that's kind of like, that's what people are doing now is making companies. Yeah. it's not a good thing, but it, but it's what they're doing. So everybody wants to be in on the next big hot thing. Yeah, right. And now. so like, I have no, I don't even know how I feel about it overall, but I just know that like. Right. It's it's certainly becoming a th- you know it's like biopics on their own where like there's a cliche biopic there's the Oscar bait biopic or something like that there's now a cliche corporate movie I think I I think when it boils down to it they could make as many flavors as they want of different products and different stories and different relationships between different creators I think the fact that they're all at their core about the idea of consumerism and the American dream and manifest destiny. The idea that like, even though Blackberry has a lot of Canadian roots too, but you know, mm-hmm. you, like the whole idea of like, I want, I want success. I want wealth so bad that I'm willing to do all these kind of shady things sometimes to grab it. Right. I'm not saying that's what happens in Flaming Hot, right. but I'm assuming that's what happens in Beanie Bubble to an mm-hmm. extent. Yeah. Um, so it's really hard to make variations on that that don't feel stale. That- and I think it just comes down to execution. I think it's as simple as that. Like Blackberry's direction yeah. might have been better. It's writing might have been better. I, I'm kind of... You know, because all of them, so many of them have the same point, and that point is, like you said, like, it's, it's you know, a person going for greed and capitalism and stuff, and then, and like, either blows up or it doesn't in the end, but obviously that's what the, the movie's taking down, and uh, that makes sense. I, since all of them are going to make the same point, it's like part of me almost wouldn't mind a movie not being heavy-handed about it. And instead just being like, well, we're going to take it as a given that this was a, a greedy asshole and and maybe he got his comeuppance in the end, maybe he didn't. But at the same time, you know, it's like, what's the point of making a movie about it? You know, I, I kind of can't tell if I want to, maybe I just want to watch documentaries uh, on these things. I don't know. Well, I mean, I think you kind of just described, and this actually transitions well to what I'm about to talk about next. You, you kind of described Wolf of Wall Street a little bit there, I think. Like a movie that that really leans into the fact that he is a terrible person and yeah, he gets his comeuppance sort of, but not really. And that's kind of the message that like well, these kind of people are often not punished in the full breadth of who's well, have the that, lives that they ruined, you know? Yeah, but I'm putting that in the same in the same basket as a one one where they do get their comeuppance. One where it's making either point is one thing. I'm wondering like how much I would like or not like a corporate movie that didn't even bother to make the point and was so focused on just here's what the story is and not drive home a theme, you know? Because that's kind of it's 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 funny. One one corporate movie is doing uh, has done it, so all of them are. Wolf of Wall Street is its own thing where like. Well, I mean, well, it's a whole other tangent, but basically, I have I have I. On one side, he does, he is vilified in the end, but audiences didn't, including myself, didn't really pick up on what they were going for. And also in another way, it's like, 
Well, he didn't fully get his comeuppance because he didn't in real life. And you're supposed to walk out of that that movie being like, like pissed, yeah. what the hell? Um, yeah, he's got book deals, yeah. he's got podcasts still. He's out of prison already. Like, right. Yeah. Um, well, Wolf of Wall Street is a movie that I'm going to be probably returning to soon. I probably haven't seen it since 2015, 16. It's just such a long watch. I saw it yeah, a lot same. from 2013 to 15. Uh, the reason I'm going to be watching it is because what I've been watching recently is in preparation of Killers of the Flower Moon, I'm doing a Nick-esque project, not nothing on the level of Burnsing Manor. Leo yeah, you don't have a name for it. No. Uh, uh, Scorsese. I don't know. No, I'm bad at it. Martin, What's a Scorsese Martin, Martin Mania or something like that, maybe. Mm, okay, so... Um, but I'm not watching them as rapidly as that either. Okay. Um, I am trying to fill out the gaps in the filmography of Martin Scorsese that I have. Gotcha. So, I would call it either a Scorsese session or a <laughs> yeah. Marty party. I'm not sure. I like Marty Mania better than Marty party. Marty oh, party. I don't. Okay. Okay, well... Uh, I I'm had, the pro here. had seen... All of his movies from the 2000s. I have seen his class, a lot of his classic classics. Although I am missing some big ones. Obviously, I've seen, I'd seen Taxi Driver, I'd seen Goodfellas. Uh, but yeah, but there, there are a bunch in the 80s and 70s, and even a few in the 90s that I have not gotten to. So I haven't really touched ones like Raging, Raging Bull is a huge gap of mine, and I still have okay. not seen that. Uh, I also have not seen After Hours and The Last Temptation of Christ, which are other 80s ones I really want to get to. And Cassi- I read the book on Christ. Cassi- <laughs> yes, I have too. <laughs> uh, great, great adaptation. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I have not seen Casino in one sit all the way through. At some point or another, I've seen a lot of Casino. but um, I just watched Taxi Driver for maybe the second proper time in my life, and it was... Um... So yeah, I've been thinking about doing a Scorsese thing too. It's not really a hot take, but I think that's my favorite movie of his. Because a lot so, of people default to Goodfellas, but Taxi Driver is just so striking and disturbing and effective for me. I came to terms watching it this time that I, I, I love it. And obviously, yeah, like there's so much that's brilliant about it. And it's like beautifully shot. I love the tone of it. I love the writing of it and stuff. But there, it doesn't just like have that like you know, home run, boom, fully connecting with me the way that like Goodfellas does. And I really wanted it to. And I came to terms where I'm like, oh, okay. It's, I still love it for the sum of its parts, but it, for me, subjectively, it happens to not like go, you know, yeah, go all the way or whatever. Um, Let's do a rewatch too. I mean, I've seen it twice, <laughs> but I need to see it again. I also, I mean, the first time I saw it, I was younger and I didn't really get what it was going for. And this time I was like, I, I thought Tra- I, th- I thought Travis Bickle was supposed to only be bad. Um, no, he's like the, co- corrupted by the... He's like vigilante, which yeah. I forgot. I guess I in my head, I, I didn't know that that's how the ending happened. I thought he just killed everybody and it wasn't to save anybody the first time I saw it. No, he thinks he's like writing, writing yeah. the corruption yeah. of the city. I mean, it's a great commentary on the state of the city at the time. It's a great commentary right. on our post-Vietnam veterans and how they've reacted to the world and trying to get grasp some semblance of justice when he they don't even really know what justice is anymore. Um uh not to step on your Scorsese talking, but uh I also just learned today, similar to talking, you know, the novelization of The Last Temptation of Christ. Um there's a novelization of Taxi Driver that came out when the when the movie was out. That makes sense. Like somebody wrote wrote a book version of it. A lot of his stuff is adaptations, I think. This more, is an more adaptation would... like the book came out later, you know. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, and he didn't write it, but um but I really want to read it now, except it's like hard to find a copy, apparently. So I'm going to go through. Let me list off everything I've watched recently, and then you can highlight the ones you want to talk about. I Like I said, I these are fringe ones. I watched his directorial debut, Who's That Knocking at My Door, with Harvey Keitel. It's the only movie of his that I would say is not very good. It's very much a first feature. It's kind of unwieldy. Wasn't it like his thesis film, I think? Uh, or that, was that Alice? I did. That might have. No, that was not Alice. I know that for okay. a fact. It, it might have been. Yeah. Um, so there's that one. I watched Mean Streets for the first time, uh, which I really enjoyed. Uh, obviously, you've got Kaitel, probably one of Kaitel's best performances, De Niro as well. Alice doesn't live here anymore with Ellen Burstyn in a movie that I thought was very good with one of the best female lead performances I've ever seen. It's a movie that I think is a really nice outlier in his filmography, especially since he is a lot of the times unfairly accused of being like very overtly masculine to see a movie. So like feminine and celebrating women, you know, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a nice like change of pace. Um, 
I've watched The Last Waltz with, because of the death of his dear friend. Um, okay, yeah. What Robbie you, Richardson, or Robbie Robertson, excuse me. How'd you like it? Uh, I thought it was a an excellent concert movie about a bunch of people that I don't necessarily have an attachment to. Like, it's clear to me, like, it just was, it was a very electrifying, not interpretation, but filming of this gathering of musical legends as one final hurrah for the the band. I, I, and I'm sure I'm in the wrong. I, I watched it and I could not care. Found it deeply not electrifying. Did not care at all. And I don't like that music though. uh, Kind of, but I'm more, I was on watching a slew of like concert and performance docs and I just did not, it felt very basic to mm. me. Yeah, I, don't, I, I hear I, don't know. I hear what you're saying. I mean, he kind of lets the music speak for itself, I think, a lot of it. But I, I, I found it very compelling, especially for somebody who doesn't listen to that style of music that often. I'm very pop-based and, mm-hmm. and uh, alternate, alternate pop-based. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the last one, I jumped a while and I did Bringing Out the Dead, which is uh, 1999. Oh, I didn't know he did that. <laughs> uh, written by Paul Schrader, based on a novel. Nicholas Cage, Patricia Arquette, John Goodman, Ving Rhames, Tom Sizemore. It's about an EMT uh, through three or four days who he's suffering from insomnia and depression and paranoid, almost paranoid schizophrenia as he deals with all of the different uh, medical emergencies that he has to deal with. Kind of like uh, your medical emergency. A lot of the movie, (laughs) actually, they are... When you told me you went to Bellevue, a lot of the movie, he's taking patients to Bellevue. So oh, really? I was like, oh, is this, what Nick, what, is this what Nick went through? I hope not. You know, all I could think <laughs> when I was in Bellevue was they, they shot a Godfather scene outside of Bellevue. And I was like, I wonder where that is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> r- another really strong uh, film. Not in my upper echelon of the favorites of his, but I could see it totally growing on future rewatches. Just the film, the filmmaking and the performances all come together in this kind of like psychedelic way. Um but it has like a strong narrative too. And Nicolas Cage is perfectly cast. And yeah. Paul Schrader, how many, do you know how many movies they've done? Then cool. They worked on Taxi Driver together, Raging Bull, uh, Bring Out the Dead, and then The Last Temptation of Christ he wrote as well. Wow. All right, well, that's the Martin Scorsese uh, watch part of the podcast. Shall we go from... So Scor- actually, so I prefer Scorsese, but he says Scorsese mm. or maybe even Scorsese without the hard ass but i prefer scorsese it's kind of a hard thing for me to untrain myself of doing now i'm gonna, yeah, have, to try. I'm gonna have to try i don't want to untrain myself i like scorsese more you know it makes him sound like a french filmmaker or something i don't know instead of an italian filmmaker <laughs> so let's go from scorsese to alfred hitchcock another classic director scorsese street there's something there's nothing okay <laughs> to catch a thief 1955 romantic thriller directed by Alfred Hitchcock, written by John Michael Hayes, based on a novel of the same name by David Dodge that had come out just three years before. That's a very quick turnaround. I feel like a lot of the time when things are added, adapted today, the novel's been around for 15 years, at least. I mean, there there are exceptions. Killers of the Flower Moon feels like it's a rough exception, right? Because that's been around less than 10 years, right? Sure. My guess would be that's because, like, Books were bigger then. Books were like the 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 original IP kind of. Yeah. You know? Uh, to Catch a Thief stars Cary Grant, um, who plays John Roby. Uh, he has the nickname The Cat. He's a retired jewel thief who uh, came up with a group of trapeze artists and spent a lot of the time uh, robbing people during the French Resistance. And they got arrested and they got paroled after that. And... Now he kind of just lives in the French Riviera trying to keep to himself until a string of burglaries start to happen again in the area. And he is, maybe rightfully so, basically uh, highlighted as the prime suspect, even though he may be innocent, he may not be innocent. As we learn through the movie, we learn actually whether he's done it or not. Um, But he's trying to basically clear his name or Mm -hmm. protect himself. And the way he does that is he enlists the aides of... uh, a man who works in insurance who will kind of help him set up a trap for the real burglar. Um, and the trap involves kind of wooing a rich woman, Jesse Stevens, played by Jesse Royce Landis, and her young daughter, 
youngish daughter, younger daughter, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, Frances Stevens, played by Grace Kelly, which is the reason we're watching the movie today. And then the, the movie kind of is a, it's like Roby trying to resist arrest. He's also wooing Grace Kelly's character, or she's actually kind of seducing him a little bit. Like he doesn't really make advances at first, and then she kind of flips the table on him. And it's their dynamic, which is fascinating and very interesting as the movie goes along. She's way smarter than she lets on. Uh, there are other characters in the picture as well that are Im- important. Uh, there's Danielle Fussard, who is played by Bridget Auber. She's an important character and kind of is assisting Roby throughout the movie, and she eventually becomes a vital part of the plot. Um, it's a it's part like drama, part mystery, part romance movie. It's a hard movie to put in a box. Um, what it is clear is the main focus of the film is that it is two really AAA plus list stars working together, having chemistry together, working under the guise of one of the great all-time filmmakers. It's really mm-hmm. not much more complicated than that, um, which is something I will say not disappointed me. I actually, I really enjoyed this movie quite a bit. Uh, if we had gotten a different Hitchcock movie, I probably wouldn't have been too upset. Like if we got Rear Window, I would have had a lot more to say. I think my big takeaway from this is that I was just generally entertained by it pretty consistently throughout. Uh, I was interested in where the story goes. I was interested in the filmmaking and the acting. Mm-hmm. I know you had a different experience. Well, I think you touched on it. Uh, I think the you you, so you can't put a movie in a box. It was a few different things, and for me, I just wasn't sure how to take it, and it kind of flattened the movie out rather than felt like felt rather than give me an experience where I was like, this movie has mystery and drama and 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 romance noir. Like it instead just kind of canceled each other out i think and so like unfortunately my takeaway from it was like just that that it didn't give me any like uh, you know i wanted uh, nostalgia is obviously the not 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 the right word because hitchcock wasn't something that i was ever familiar with or whatever but like that kind of thing of like being immersed into that like i don't know an auteur of the past's world or something it just kind of wasn't what i Thought in a very subjective and like you know unfair expectation way, I guess going in. Um, well, the name carries a, a pedigree that is impossible to divorce it from. Um, yeah, sure. Especially for people like us who weren't alive when he was making movies. Yeah, um, and also, I mean, Rear Window, one of the few Hitchcocks that I've seen, but also one of my favorite movies. Um, I, I've come to realize, and. You know, I, I think just like it's hard to even have Grace Kelly in another role live up to like the Grace Kelly in that, just based on the whatever the hype of of retrospect. Oh, the she's, hype of bias. she's like a, she's like a dream in that movie. Like right. there, I, I don't know if there's ever been another woman on film that's been as like beautiful and alluring and right. interesting as a supporting character. But also that movie, everything about that movie is drawn out tension and is like sparse. You know. Kind of like it's kind of like less dialogue, I think. It's stuff like like the whole thing because it's creating it's it's a much more suspenseful movie, and so suspense is going to like bolster um, the like it's kind of bolster like the attraction of a character, like the sexual chemistry they give off, and uh, the weight of their performance, their mystique, everything like that. Whereas this is much more there's there's more conversation between between them and stuff. That said, there's also like great. So writing in this, I think, but with the Hitchcock name, obviously he has the nickname master of suspense. Mm -hmm. Um, And what you're talking about in rear window is a perfect example of that, how he builds suspense and urgency and tension. And that's like all of his best movies have that psycho has that North by Northwest has that. It's just like, it chokes you out while you wait for like the the shoe to drop it. It's very, even for back then when you know that the violence isn't going to be too visceral and it's not going to be too graphic, you're still terrified about what could happen to these characters. Right. This movie is taking a little bit of a different tact. It is. Yeah. It doesn't have the urgency of those movies. It's playful escapism is how I would describe it. Mm-hmm. You're, you're basically just, yeah, our characters are in danger, but they're not really like he could just run away and get away with this if he wanted to. He right. is on a mission to clear his name. Um, But it does. It feels like at any moment he could drop this and run as well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it just feels like we're meant to enjoy our time with the characters and enjoy the vistas of the French area yeah. that, that he shoots, which look beautiful, by the way. This movie shot in Vista Vision, as it says right at the beginning. What does that mean? I It's just some technical term basically saying that I don't know. It, I, you know like, what I think it seems it like it just means it's like widescreen and beautiful. That makes know. more sense in my thought, which was that he edited it on Windows Movie Maker on Vista. I, yeah, I don't think that was it. Okay. Um, I mean, if you look at the Rotten Tomatoes uh, consensus, which sometimes is not the great thing to do, but it actually fits here. That the consensus, I agree with almost 100%. It may occasionally be guilty of coasting on pure charm, but To Catch a Thief has it in spades, as well as a pair of perfectly matched stars and Cary Grant and Grace Kelly. If I were to write one sentence on this movie, I probably would say that. it It's just a charming, entertaining mystery. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's something more tuned to like, and this, I mean, this, there are better comparisons to this, but I think of this as more like an Ocean's Eleven type movie than a deep, dark suspense thriller. You know what I mean? Yeah. That that level of tone, I mean, is what sure. I'm trying to say. It did, I, uh, what, you know, it wasn't a total miss with me. The The fact that it wasn't, like, f- firing on all cylinders for me, it, um, or I mean, you know, it didn't have, it, it kind of fell flat in some ways. It also did, I found, like, myself most interested in, like, the the kind of uh, direction and cinematography of it. Like, there were, there were some parts of that that I was like, you don't see in old movies or barely see in movies now. Like, there were some, there's some very arresting visuals in it stuff like that that on its own is also you know even if even if you expected suspense from hitchcock and we're going to be let down like yeah i mean he's more than proving his value in like the in the way that i think it's shot i mean um there's a couple like uh scenes like in carrie grant and and grace kelly are like in her hotel room there's a whole fireworks display going on and they're in front of like beautiful um but then also i guess this kind of Kind of gets a bit into editing, too. There's a point where um, Roby is kind of staking out, like, a, an estate because he thinks crime's going to go down there. And it's the it's a scene that culminates in a guy winding up dead in the water. Right. Okay. Um, but th- the beginning of that scene is um, it's just a bunch of static shots of, like, the quiet um, estate at, uh, at dawn, basically. And... It, it it lingers for so long, each shot, and then the montage as a whole. It's like, a, it must be like a full minute or something of just the these shots. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Um, and I love it. It's like very serene. And then instead of cutting, like smash cutting to something, it just, the camera whips to Roby being caught. You didn't even know he was there in the first place. I just like love the way that that, that, that was done. Um a lot of movies from that era don't get the credit they deserve for, you know, being yeah. ahead of its time in terms of modern techniques and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's weird. It felt like I'm not even sure what I would relate it to now. Like, it's not quite something I I feel like you even see in modern times. It definitely and I'm definitely guilty of it, like with old movies, just overly thinking of them as like static shot on two actors. Nothing's moving and like. Partly because of technology, like that's what it was doing. But I don't. He like gets around it so much here, and yeah, that in itself was interesting. I guess. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about the story itself because um, that guy you were talking about in the water adds a whole other dynamic of seriousness to the story because mm-hmm. you know you have this kind of love triangle of sorts between him and between Roby and Francis and then Daniel Fassard, who is interested in him. Obviously there were times where Kelly's performance is so alluring and interesting that I started to wonder if for whatever reason she was going to end up being the cat burglar. Um, But it ends up being, and I mean, obviously we're a spoiler podcast. It ends up being Danielle who is the one doing the robbing, even though her father was the one that ended up in the water and she turns on him immediately at that moment and tries to get him framed, basically. Right. It's all, it's a very interesting cat and mouse game um, that develops. And I was, I was satisfied by the payoff. And I think that whole sequence is really well shot too. The stuff in the silhouettes of night and how they finally catch Danielle. And Mm -hmm. yeah, that was my other Favorite thing was the the everything with the, the rooftop stuff. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, all of that stuff I thought was really interesting. I mean, like, there's only, like, five characters in the whole movie that are, like, super important, so it's pretty easy to, to eliminate who actually is doing this, unless it, it was going to be some kind of unsatisfying answer where you've never met the character. Right. But I, I think the way it resolves, I was satisfied with enough. Again, it's not one of the best, most suspenseful sequences that he's ever done. Mm -hmm. But for what it was trying to do within the context of the movie, I felt it worked. Do you think part of that's because the stakes aren't as high because it's just like petty theft or? Um, yeah, but I think like if if we believe that Roby going to jail could be the end of his life, then this, that means the stakes could be higher. You know what I mean? Nobody's going to mm. die, you're right, even though somebody does die. But yeah, to an extent, I see what you're saying. Um, I will say that this movie is ahead of its time in some ways and then also very much of his time, like when uh, Danielle accuses him of crimes at the funeral for her father and he just gives her a big backhand yeah <laughs> it's like okay um, well, that, that one happened <laughs> in movies today um the, there i i just saw that i wrote down in my notes for it there was a scene early on where roby is like on one side of a tree and i forget if it's grace kelly or um or the other one who's who's who uh it's like on the other side and he like reaches around the tree there's a weird scene where, like, I think his arm is supposed to be comically long, but uh, but also I, I'm, it doesn't make sense that, like, a movie like this would put that in there. I hear what you're if saying. If you didn't flag it, then it must have not been an issue for you. I, I didn't, did <laughs> okay. not, didn't think of it, no. I, um, I think it required a prop arm, is what I'm saying. But. What, what did stand out to me was this is clearly, like, a co-production between... American interests and British interests and French interests. So there's a lot of French actors in this that just didn't bother to learn English and have clearly been dubbed by Americans or or in English speaking actors. And that, that was distracting me a lot when he was going to visit a lot of his old associates at the kitchen. It's clear a lot of those actors don't speak English. So I, I just thought that was interesting, too. I don't think you I'm see a lot of that today unless the movie is totally foreign. Also, I believe there's no... Like, as an official version, there's no subtitles of the French dialogue, or at least right. not most of it, right? Because um, it has been my experience also on this podcast where, like, I'm just watching versions that they, they happen to not put them in. Like, the streamer has the wrong version or something like that. But this, um, they don't tell you, they don't tell you what is being said in French. And there's kind of a lot of it. Yeah. Which in itself is a choice I've not really thought about until watching this movie and that that's a thing that happens. Um, also, yeah, this movie on the set of this movie is where Grace Kelly met her future husband, Prince of Monaco. Makes sense. And, uh, then she became the great, uh, Princess Grace Kelly of Monaco. There's a movie where Nicole Kidman played her. Uh, I think that's called the Grace of Monaco or something like that. And it's very bad. It's basically about all of her romantic endeavors at that time. Hmm. Just a fun fact. Uh, I loved the sitcom about her marriage to Willem Dafoe. Willem Grace was great. <laughs> that was a good one. That's I, not. I like. I almost that one. didn't say it. Well, the weirdest stuff of the things that you say are my good. It's, my good I, it's the execution a lot of the times too, as we talked about with the corporate movies. If it throws me off, unless if I can see it coming from a mile away, I'm not going to give you the satisfaction. But I also did. I did some research footwork here because I figured it was important to know for the podcast. As I was watching the movie, I was wondering what the origin of Cat Burglar is because I always assumed that, like, you know, I guess Cat Burglar, because I don't know, like, they're quiet and prance around. Do you know what the origin of Cat Burglar is? No, I assumed that that was what it was, too. Yeah, that is what it is. There's nothing oh, more okay. interesting yeah. than that. <laughs> yeah. So, so my intuition was correct. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, I enjoyed this quite a bit. I It is a top 10 movie we've reviewed for me. Um, in terms of just overall production value and stuff like that. It is right in between Sleepless in Seattle and Tenant. And I think that's the right tier where it's a movie that has its problems, but I had a great time watching it. See, um, by the way, not even a bit. Whenever I hear Tenant, I, I think somebody's saying Tenant, and I think uh, it's a biopic of David Tenant. Um, I do, I think respectability and quality, it's maybe a top 10 for me, but factoring in my subjectivity um which is my standard for ranking our movies it's not it's like so middle of the pack for me there are tiers being developed here in our in my ranking of our movies and oh i thought i thought you were upset 
No. Tears being developed. <laughs> no. T I E R S, tears <laughs> being developed. Give our top six for me, which I think are movies that are legitimately great films with no qual- qualifications. Seven through 10, and like I said, this is in that tier, are movies that I think are good are, are, and are entertaining, and I had a good time watching them. Uh, and then we have like the 11 through 26 range. So the majority of what we review that I would give a thumbs up to, but like also wouldn't like fight to the death for them. Then we have our mediocre range, which is like 27 to 32. And then we have movies that I don't like, which is everything else. See, I think we've watched, we reviewed once we talk about ragtime, that it will be our 48th movie. Yeah. This is like a, just a fully, just like a three star thing for me. I put it, it's ahead of nostalgia, but, uh, but uh, behind uh, a lot of other stuff, I guess, actually. It's just doing the quick math. It is 20, 25 spots ahead of nostalgia on my list. <laughs> Jeez. They're not even close to pairing. I mean, I have it. It's on as far as three stars. It's on par with the campaign, but I enjoyed the campaign more than this. Is what I'm saying. I'm, I'm Hitchcock just rolled over his grave. Yeah. There um, <laughs> we'll do more of this on the gangies in December. But for now, anything else on To Catch a Thief? Um, no. All right. Well, that will do it for this week's episode of the Cinema Chain Gang podcast. We talked about Alfred Hitchcock's To Catch a Thief. We talked about two Grace Kelly movies. We didn't really strike great with the two best Grace Kelly movies I think we possibly could have gotten, but it's okay. We're going to take our friend, John Alderson, um, but not really talk about him next week because I said he's got nothing really to do with the next movie. Milos Forman's Ragtime, which has James Cagney in it. And, and also yeah. a book adaptation. And also a book adaptation. That will do it for this week's episode. For Nick Riccardio. Nick Ricardo, not Nick Ricardio. Don't associate me with cardio. Which of us fell on our heads? I fell on my bike once and I'm, and I'm known for doing cardio. <laughs> I'm Andrew Roger. The chain continues. Rip Papuli, Rip Ray, Rip Tony. <laughs>